1: The Drabblecast, episode 153. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, it's National Women's History Month. Bet you didn't know that, you chauvinist bastard. <laughs> Just playing. You know, it does seem like women are underrepresented a lot in speculative fiction still. Which is bizarre, considering that women are approximately 60% better at effectively expressing themes and ideas in written form than men are. And that's a statement, not a fact. And even though while here at the Drabblecast, we're lucky to have editors Luke and Kendall, two happily married gents who really do appreciate and love women everywhere, at least if not more than their wives, if you break down our authors into a ratio of chicks and dudes, it's clear. We've got a big, friendly sausage fest going on here, with mostly males invited. The rest, a female minority of really hardcore sausage fans who showed up with big puppy dog eyes and a station wagon full of salami and kielbasa. Those ladies had driven all the way from Tampa, said they hadn't missed a sausage fest in 18 years, and what are you going to do, not let them in? They're not going to take no for an answer. In 1987, March was declared National Women's History Month, presumably because statistics have shown that women have poor long-term memory. Again, that's a statement, not a fact. So guess what? We're doing something special for the occasion. We're combining Women's History Month with the Drabblecast's own highly esteemed Alien Appreciation Month to create National Women's and Aliens History Month. All women writers, all month, all stories about aliens. You're going to like it, trust me. And if you don't like it, you, sir, can go make me a sandwich. Let's kick this thing off with a drabble, huh? Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into drabblecast at yahoo.com. Maybe you'll make it on the show. This week's Drabble is called The Offering, and it comes to us from Liz Mirzieski, who by sheer dink, honest to goodness, is responsible for this week's awesome episode art, which I particularly love. I just got started listening to Liz's podcast novella, Apparition, and it's good stuff. We're going to run a promo for it at the end of this week's show. Hope you'll stick around for it. For now, though, let's hit the Drabble Shuffling through the dumpster, I find the little bits of rind, grounds, and spoiled meat. I slather them onto my coat yet again, and search the next dumpster, and the next. Foolish people, throwing away that which is so desired by the others. Each dumpster yields its treasures, and my coat's covering is complete. Colors blend, the odors mingle. Home, I remove the coat and lay it flat on the bed, delicacies facing up. Naked and oiled, I roll, becoming one with the offering. And I wait for them to come and feast. Like each night that has come before. cats can be devious little critters, can't they? God, I love them. To reinforce said point, this week we bring you a story by Christine Catherine Rush called What Fluffy Knew. Miss Rush is an award winning mystery, romance, science fiction, and fantasy writer. She's written many novels under various names, including Christine Grayson for romance and Chris Nelscott for mystery. Her awards range from the Ellerly Queen Reader's Choice Award, the Asimov's Reader's Choice Award, the John W. Campbell Award, and she's the only person in the history of science fiction to have won a Hugo Award for editing and a Hugo Award for fiction. She's the former editor of the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, and she lives and works on the Oregon coast. We ran one of Christine's stories back in February 08, episode 53, a story called Sing, and it's still one of my favorite stories. You should go check it out. We've got a great fan archive kept up to date by Tom Baker, a.k.a. St. Tom, where you can find all of our back issues in downloadable MP3 form. Click the big link that says Download Archived Episodes off of our main page, drabblecast.org, if you're interested. Reading this week's story, the velvet voice of the word whore, one of the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Air Out My Shorts. This show is great, oftentimes hilarious, and it's an idea that I wish I'd thought of. The show has the candid feel of our own Drabblecast Super Animal Deathmatch podcast, but instead of drunken debates over which badass imaginary animal would win in a fight, Preston Buttons and the word whore clumsily and often tipsily narrate their way through listener-submitted works of short fiction, sometimes painfully, always absent-mindedly, and all of it completely unencumbered by any relevant credentials. Although each episode of Air at My Shorts will make a somewhat valiant, er drunken attempt to present a short work of original fiction, Preston and The Word Whore claim to be a far cry from being knowledgeable literary critics, let alone talented narrators. I happen to disagree with the latter point, as I'm sure you will too after listening to this week's show. Check them out at theitspot.com. We'll run a promo for them too in this week's outro. They're good people, despite being Canadian and beating our hockey team last week. The Word Whore says that this occurred three quarters into her recording of this story, And if you listeners listen really close, you just might hear the triumphant screams of a city full of celebrating Torontonians seeping into the audio. That's what I'm talking about. Suck it, USA, eh? Canada has the best hockey team in the world. And that's a statement, not a fact. So without further ado, What Fluffy Knew, by Christine Catherine Rush.
2: Fluffy knew she was a princess, her person told her so, and Fluffy herself could see it, in her white, white fur, her long, elegant whiskers, and her dainty paws. Fluffy had a soft bed that smelled of cedar, she had as much food as she wanted. People came to her house, and when she presented herself, they all spoke in awe of her beauty and petted her gingerly as if they couldn't believe they were allowed to touch her sacred body. She bumped them gently to let them know that petting was preferred in her kingdom, and they usually responded with a laugh and a good ear rub. Life was good. It didn't even matter that her people occasionally took in other cats. There had been other cats in her life as long as she was alive. She knew, however, that they weren't as great as she was. No other cat was as beautiful or as soft or as well-loved. Other cats lived with her, and she tolerated them. She would have put up a large fuss, but her people had found a new palace, one with many rooms, and she rarely saw the other cats, except at feeding times. Her routine was perfect in its simplicity. She spent her mornings in the kitchen waiting for someone to brush her. Her afternoons sprawled on the couch in the warm sunshine, and her evenings on the nearest lap. Sometimes she watched the water droplets in the bathtub after her people took showers. Nights were her special time. She prowled and explored, took food her people sometimes left near the sink, and occasionally slept on their soft bed. She was in her cedar bed at dawn, just to make sure no one else used it, and then she was up, beginning her routine all over again. Yes, it was a very good life, until they came. Please give the boys a thorough examination. I'll pay you extra. I know your time is limited when you do your house calls, and I appreciate the fact that so few vets do such a thing. But this has me bothered. Mrs. Winters, what's happened is tragic, but not uncommon. These adorable creatures are miniature lions. We think they're civilized, but they're not, and occasionally they remind us, often in particularly unpleasant ways. They seemed to know who the weak ones were. Later, Fluffy found herself wondering if she had known what they were going to do. Would she have crushed them on that first day? Would she have stopped them? They were, after all, little bigger than a flea, but even fleas were hard to kill, weren't they? She had had fleas as a kitten before she was elevated to her proper position, and she remembered the sudden sharp pain of the bite the uncontrollable urge to scratch, the impossibility of catching a flea between your teeth. So perhaps she wouldn't have been able to do anything, even if she had been paying attention, even if she had tried to stop the problem on the day it had started. They went for her littermate, Streaker, and his little friend, Rook. Streaker's Royal Blood was diluted by his street-tough father, a swaggering tom that Fluffy barely remembered from her kittenhood. Her own father was a sweet white cat, a little on the fat side, just as her mother was. A pedigree pair, her former people used to say. The litter, they said to the people who would become her people, was ruined by the black and white kitten. A tom had gotten to their precious girl at the right time, so they had to give the kittens away, unable to prove the purity of their bloodline. Her people didn't care. They liked the black and white kitten with the impish streak, and they named him Streaker because he liked to run from one end of the house to the other for no apparent reason. He refused to show her the proper respect, slapping at her when she got in his way, or demanding that she give up her food. His little friend Rook, a long-haired tabby, showed many of the same behaviors. Rook was a stray her people had rescued, and to them he was kind. To her he was as insensitive as her brother. But she could avoid them, and often did. Streak and Rook spent most of their time together sleeping, eating, playing. She spent most of her time with her human companions, as it should be. So the afternoon they appeared... She thought nothing of it. Yes, but they've never done anything like this before. I'm beginning to wonder if something's wrong. Trust me, Mrs. Winters. We get complaints like this all the time when house cats show their animal natures. There's nothing wrong. It was summer. Her favorite window was open, the one overlooking the garden and the birds. She could smell flowers, which sometimes made her sneeze. Other cats, which always made her curious And birds, which usually made her want to be slightly energetic In a wholly disgusting way She, as her people always told her, was a princess And didn't have to kill her own food The boys, as her people called Streaker and Rook Didn't quite understand that But the other two cats, Starlight and Cupcake, did They preferred to sleep and eat, just as she did, and fortunately for her, weren't as good at attracting pets. She had been asleep in the sun, below her favorite window, when they arrived. Rook and Streaker were sprawled in the door, playing their nasty little game, Trap Fluffy. If she hissed at them, they would jump on her and pull at her fur. If she pretended not to notice, they would leave her alone and eventually grow tired of the game. She had decided not to notice, and the hot sun had put her to sleep. A slight whirring sound woke her up. She sat up, stretched, and saw a tiny machine, rather like the ones her people watched on the box in the living room, a round machine that had doors and windows too tiny for any cat to use. The fur rose on the back of her neck, and she felt a hiss start in the back of her throat. But something warned her not to hiss, She didn't want to call attention to herself. Instead, she slipped beneath the couch and watched. The little door opened, and tiny human-shaped creatures emerged. They were no bigger than ants. They spoke a strange language, stranger than the one her people used. It was much harder to understand. The creatures had other creatures held by silver threads, leashes as thin as spider webs and nearly as invisible. Fluffy watched as the bigger creatures unhooked the leashes, snapped their fingers, and pointed toward the door. The smaller creatures flew across the room like tiny flies on a mission. The larger creatures went back through the door. Fluffy heard a whirring sound, and the tiny machine was gone. She adjusted her position under the couch and saw the small creatures fly into Rook's left ear. Another group of them flew into Streaker's right ear And then, the terror began. What about an alien virus? Mrs. Winters. Don't use that tone with me, Doctor. I've been doing some reading. Tabloids. They mentioned it on CNN. They said that ever since those tiny spaceships landed... There's no proof that those are spaceships, Mrs. Winters. Animals have been acting strangely. You told me yourself last month when you gave Cupcake her shots that all sorts of strange things were happening to the animals in town. I was talking about illnesses. Well, so am I. Rook and Streaker haven't been acting normally, and I'm really worried about the other cats. Rook let out a yelp like a cat in severe pain, and Streaker shook his head as if something were biting him. Then they ran in opposite directions, and Fluffy didn't see them for the rest of the day. Of course, she had to go back to sleep. The spot under the couch, despite the dirt, was much more comfortable than she had expected. She didn't see the attack on the dog. It was, or so her people said later in very excited tones, extremely strange. Their neighbor had brought his dog over when he came to get a package one of her admirers, the one who drove the loud brown truck, had left. Rook and Streaker bit the dog's legs and made him bleed before her people could pull them off. Her people apologized, but the neighbor got upset. Fluffy never did understand that part. It was just a dog after all. She was more concerned about the smelly blood all over the kitchen floor. Rook and Streaker licked it up and smacked their lips as if they'd had a particularly tasty treat. Her male person had said it was fortunate the boys were up to date on their shots, or the entire experience would have been a costly one. The other cats chalked it up to dog phobia, but Fluffy didn't. She saw the look in their eyes. She had been their target many times, and she had never seen them look so sad after an attack. Usually, they were gleeful. Instead, they smacked their lips and scratched their eyes, and when they finally fell asleep, they whined. A lot. One article in the local paper said a university researcher thought that the aliens were experimenting on mammals as test cases before they started experimenting on humans. Mrs. Winters, really? I know it sounds silly, but after what the boys did, I'm looking for any explanation. Please, doctor, just take a few moments. Examine them. For the first three days, they tried to get outside, but her people were too fast for them. The boys were getting older and were well-fed and didn't move as fast as they used to. Their people stopped them at the door every time, usually with a foot blocking their way and then they turned their attention on the other cats. Cupcake, the obese Persian, who wanted Fluffy's spot as princess of the house, found a hiding spot behind the dryer. Fluffy stayed close to her people because she knew the boys wouldn't attack her in public. But Starlight, the black and gold stray, wasn't so lucky. The boys cornered Starlight behind the toilet and had ripped out her throat before their people could stop it. Their male person took the boys and threw them in cat carriers. Their female person tried to save Starlight. She bundled her in a towel and took her to the emergency vet, a place Fluffy had fortunately never seen. The boys spent the night in cages in the garage. Their people promised a mobile vet visit in the morning. Cupcakes slept well for the first time in a week. Fluffy woke once and shivered. The boys were wailing as if they had seen the end of the world all right mrs winters i'll examine them but before i do let me be blunt starlight was a very old malnourished stray she wasn't part of your cat family yes she was not to the cats and it might not have mattered even if they had known her well Cats live in prides and have hierarchies, and one rule that exists from lions to barn cats is that the alpha male destroys the weak so that the rest have enough to eat. They have enough to eat. It doesn't matter, it's in the genetic code. We've taken in strays before, and they've never, you know, killed the cat. Maybe the other strays weren't as sick. You don't think you'll find anything, do you? No. Fluffy hated puzzles, and she really didn't like the boys. They harassed her and didn't give her the respect that royalty deserved. But she didn't like to hear anyone cry either. And her person was right. They hadn't killed Starlight. Those creatures inside them had. She had to get those creatures out of the boys, and she had to do it without infecting herself or Cupcake. The creatures had gone in the ear. The mogul vet had cold, wet stuff that went in the ear. She had seen him use it on Starlight just last week. Maybe that would be enough to get the creatures out. But how to tell her person and the mobile vet what she knew? They would think, if she wound around their legs, that she wanted pets. And even though they thought themselves superior, they never had mastered Fluffy's language. Not like she had mastered theirs. The problem was she couldn't speak it. She hadn't seen the use for it until now. Her person had brought Streaker in from the garage. He had dried blood on his muzzle and his eyes were wide and dark. He looked like a cat in pain to Fluffy. Her person put Streaker's cat carrier on the kitchen counter and started to open the gate. Fluffy had to act now. She took a flying leap, something she hadn't done since she was a kitten, and landed on the vet's medical bag He made a small sound, and her person spoke her name in that sharp, reprimanding tone. Fluffy ignored her. Instead, she scratched on the top of the bag until a corner of it pulled back. She put a paw under it and clung as the vet tried to lift her off. Instead, he helped her open the bag. There were rows of needles inside and a lot of little vials. She tried not to watch when he worked on the other cats, and she could barely remember what he had done to Starlight's ear. He hadn't used a needle, he had used a bottle. A small white bottle that liquid dripped out of. She only had a moment. She batted a bottle aside and it rolled along the floor. Then she wriggled out of the vet's grasp and jumped on the counter. Her person reprimanded her again. Fluffy stopped in front of Streaker's cage and scratched her ear. He frowned at her. She scratched her other ear and her person shoved her on the floor. She landed with an unceremonious thump, and she had to pause to lick herself. No princess ever allowed herself to be shoved like that, not even in the name of justice. From above, she heard the sound of a back foot thumping against a plastic cage. Streaker had understood. They're too big to be ear mites. Then what are they? I don't know, but I'm going to take them to the lab with me and investigate. I'll leave this vial with you. If you see any more of them, scoop them up and bring them to me. Don't let them near the cats. Should we do the other cats? Probably, yes. Get them. We'd best make sure this is taken care of. Something this big in your ear would be painful. We don't want it to happen again. For her trouble, she was grabbed, held by the scruff of the neck, and had cold liquid shoved down her ear with instructions to have the same procedure repeated until the liquid was gone. Both the vet and her person were pleased to see that no creatures came out of her ears, and then they went off to find Cupcake. Streaker looked at her from his cage. She looked back, his eyes closed slowly. She had never seen a cat seem so exhausted and so relieved. Doctor? Hmm? Are those bugs what made my boys kill Starlight? I can't answer that for sure, Mrs. Winters. I don't know what these bugs are or what they do. But the boys, will they hurt my other cats? Cats aren't like dogs, Mrs. Winters. Once dogs get a taste for blood, they usually must be kept outside or destroyed. Cats, the thing that your cats did, is natural. They hurt things one minute and cuddle their owner the next. Will your cats be the same loving creatures you've always known? Of course. Will they hurt Cupcake and Fluffy? Not unless they get so sick they're a threat to the pride. I would say that you separate your cats in the future when one of them gets ill. That'll ensure something like this will never happen again. So I can let them have the run of the house and they won't hurt anyone again? If you follow my instructions. I will! Oh, oh doctor, how will I ever forgive them for Starlight? Realize they're not human, and that human laws don't apply. What they did was right in the feline world. That doesn't work for me. Then blame it on the bugs. Three days later, Fluffy was asleep in the sun beneath her favorite window. The boys were cuddled on the couch, still exhausted from their ordeal. A whir woke Fluffy up. She rolled over and saw the tiny machine on the windowsill. The little door opened and the bigger creatures came out. They held tiny whistles in their hands. The high-pitched sound woke up the boys. They glanced at Fluffy. She glanced at them. Then she reached up with one paw and knocked the machines, and the bigger creatures, off the sill. The boys jumped down beside her, and the hunt began. It was Rook who discovered that if you bit one of the creatures halfway between its head and its feet, and then threw it against the wall, it didn't move again. Streaker discovered that a paw through the door crushed the little machines. But Fluffy was the one who figured out how to knock down the machines mid-flight. Fluffy, who figured out how to dodge the tiny rays of light that hurt more than a needle's prick. Fluffy, who figured out how to flush the machines down the toilet so they would be gone for good. Because Fluffy knew, if the creatures and their tiny machines succeeded in taking over Rook and Streaker, they might take over her. And if they took over her, and discovered how wonderful her life was, it wouldn't be long before they sent for more little machines and sent bugs into the ears of her people. And once they had control of her people, they had control of the entire world. And Fluffy couldn't let that happen. In this world, she was a princess, and she would remain a princess, even if it meant dirtying her paws to do so the creatures hadn't known what they were up against, but Fluffy knew, and Fluffy won, just like she knew she would.
1: Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed Maybe that explains a few things about your cat's behavior. It's one thing if your pet is actually saving the world, it's another if it just thinks that it is. Cats, you gotta love them, those cute little narcissistic mounds of fluffy self-absorption. Hey, story feedback time. A couple weeks ago we ran a story called So You're Going to Die by Robert Reed, a story about a hitman entrepreneur who euthanizes people and traps their souls in a box per their request. Listeners seemed really impressed with all the neat, well-thought-out concepts and ideas in this story. Eric Marsh said, I thought the story was quite good. It held my attention even while multitasking. While the protagonist might be a sociopath, he was also intelligent, imaginative, and had a good sense of business. Given the right opportunities, I think he would have done quite well in corporate America. Scattercat said, The ending image was pretty entertaining, but the whole thing felt like it needed, well, a plot, honestly. This was an interesting concept with a pretty good character study attached. And El Barto said, Fantastic story, easily one of my favorite ever, and the one that is turning me from a new listener into a donor today. I loved how the story kept going in new directions each time I thought it was about to end, and how the science fiction built to a more and more technical perspective. Thanks for the feedback, folks. We love hearing from listeners. Join our discussion forums and say hello. If you're digging the show and the stories, why not be like El Barto and take the plunge from a mere listener to most holy and sacrosanct of donors? You can find two donation options of our main page, travelcast.org. Donate once or have it done automatically, five bucks a month from your PayPal account or credit card. We rely on your support to cover the numerous costs behind the show, and we really appreciate whatever you can give. Speaking of which, our Kick-Ass Donor of the Week this week is... David Kreindler. David is a cybersecurity professional living in the compact and lovely state of Vermont. When not working to ensure the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of bunches of bites, David works for social justice as a volunteer with the Vermont Workers' Center. These guys have a really kick-ass grassroots campaign called Healthcare Care is a Human Right that is changing what is politically possible around healthcare care reform in the U.S. Well, Vermont, anyway, but from a tiny acorn. If you're bored watching Congress pretend that it wants to reform the healthcare system in the U.S., and Lord knows we all are at this point, check out the Healthcare is a Human Right campaign at the Vermont Worker Center website, www.workercenter.org. Send them some love if you can. It's hard being a tiny nonprofit organization battling the giant corporate Goliaths these days. Thanks, David. Keep fighting the good fight and being such a swell sugar daddy. Great 100-character story winner this week, listener and forum member Munzi wrote this Twitter-bound micro tale right here. He hit me with an atomic weapon, a weapon made entirely of atoms, specifically a crowbar. It hurt like a son of a bitch. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters? We call them Twobbles or twabbles, depending on your proclivity towards hard or soft vowels. We've got an ongoing contest going on in our discussion forums each week. Write one, post it, see how it sails. So I mentioned some promos earlier. First the promo for Liz Mirziaski's podcast novel, Apparition, which you should certainly check out if you're currently trying to fill gig space on your portable mp3 player. She reads the story herself, and it's presented by Rose Garden Media. You can easily find it by doing a podcast search for Apparition on iTunes. It's the first one that pops up.
2: When Amelia Connor is run down and killed in the middle of the night, she finds herself trapped between the worlds of the living and the dead. She is desperate to make contact with her family, but every break into their world only increases their fear or grief. As Amelia tries to come to terms with her death, her husband Jim is in denial over their failing marriage, their daughter's health, and his own anger. Kimberly, their teenage daughter, just wants answers. Amelia's journey takes her from the accident site to her gravesite, but only by confronting the difficult truths in her own life will she save herself and those she's left behind. Listen to Apparition, a novel written and read by Liz Mirzieski at RosengardenMedia.com or Download it from iTunes.
1: Next, a promo for one of my personal faves. Back in the day, oh, four years ago, this podcast was one of the first couple I ever started listening to after finding out what a podcast was, and it's the only one that's stuck since. TheItSpot.com Ugh. Did you get that
2: hair out of your throat? No, it's still there. Web Up
1: Review reports. Listen at your own risk.
2: You wanted to lay me on board. Treat me bad you Call me a slut Funky Radio says really She
0: is a pain in the You know,
2: Preston Buttons mm-hmm. is a twat
0: Let us air out your short stories of 800 words or less Send them to shorts at theitspot.com My big beast
1: breaks out, look
0: out I'm comfortable with my level of genius
2: What the f*** is going on with
0: you? Air out my shorts with Preston Buttons and the word whore He's
2: very jealous of my ass
1: Good stuff Well, that's our show We'll see you next week, weirdos Remember, the show is produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can share it freely, just don't change it or sell it. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to blame it on the bugs.